Well, hey there, Todd. We're back again, and uh, I enjoyed you know your story about making your decision. Although, again, not a great financial decision, um, which seems to be part of your your mo. But uh, making the choice to go to Cincinnati <laughs> over Pittsburgh. Um, so we there are some common threads here, Todd, especially when it comes to money. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, let's uh, let's you you had just noted towards the end that there's there's more to Cincinnati than than what you told. So let's continue on. Okay. Well, thank you. Yes. Um, you know, I seem I seem to know a lot about a lot of stuff except how to make a living, right? So uh, you're right. I mean, some. However, now to my own defense. The decision, it, uh, I proved to myself with the decision to go to Cincinnati that there's more things in life than money. I knew when I looked out over the Ohio River Valley that that was where my son and I were going to be okay. And, it, and that decision was not, of course, a financial decision. I suspect if I wasn't stressed out and at the end of my tether, maybe I would have been more logical about it. Maybe I would have been more rational about it. But at that stage, uh, given all that was being lost, um, I, I, it wasn't rational, that's for sure. However, it made all the difference in the world. Uh, in my life. In fact, I can't imagine how my life would have been had I moved to Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh is a great city, right? But this instant connection with Cincinnati, and it all proved um, to be uh, accurate. So the move to Cincinnati, um, I don't remember being particularly frightened or scared. I remember being worried sick about my son, about how was I going to put this together. I remember just simple things, as, uh, not simple, but just routine things of finding a place to live. Um, you know, and so we found, I found a place in Pleasant Ridge and I didn't know how to cook. I didn't know how to do laundry. I'd never done any of that stuff. And so having a three-year-old and the big, the big challenge was I had to go to work every day and I had to find a school for Thomas. All right. I'm making $10,000 a year. And actually you can live off of that or you could 40 years ago. Um, and I found a school in Mount Auburn next to Christ Hospital at the uh, uh, Baptist Church. And, you know, to Thomas's credit as a young child, he was very resilient. And I've noticed this in my work with children in grief. Children have a built-in lie detector, I have found. And they're able to deal with realities and truths much better than what adults sometimes predict they'll be able to do. What they can't deal with is deceit. What they can't deal with is when they're being lied to. And, you know, their factual knowledge of the world is very limited. 
but their feeling knowledge of the world is limitless because that's the language that children live by is there how they feel about things and so i look back at my son and you know he got to a point that he'd make his own lunches he's three four years old he would dress himself um and he would march off to the bus i remember the first day he went to school uh, that was um well let me I, I, when he was in daycare, I had to drop him off every day, pick him up. And that worked out pretty good because the mortuary school closed at four o'clock. If I had worked in a funeral home, there are no way I could have picked him up uh, given how things went. Uh, and so the routine was good. The, the money was tight. There was times I'd have $5 left after I paid all my expenses and things. But the point is, is that I, we were not just surviving, but looking back at it, we were building a life. And in fact, of all the things that I've worked on in my career and my life, being a single parent was without question the most important role I've ever played in my life, right? Because I had no instruction book I was making all kinds of bonehead mistakes, or I thought so at the time. Um, and so I learned how to cook because I bought a crock pot. And I found that the crock pot was idiot proof, which was right down my alley, right? And and now to, to, to brag a little bit, I'm a really good cook, right? Uh, and I can do my own laundry and I can clean the house and I can do those things. I don't like doing them and I prefer somebody else will do them, uh, but I'm not paralyzed by it. So the 82, 83, by 84, it was time for him to go to school. And my big idea was to get him the Cincinnati had something called the Cincinnati Alternative Schools. So you had the School for the Performing Arts. Um, you had the uh, Walnut Hills High School that was college preparatory. But you had a thing called Sands Montessori, which was downtown on Finley Street, which is in one of the worst sections of uh, Cincinnati. It was just, just a, a demilitarized zone down there. And I remember I applied to get him into Sands Montessori. Oh, I fretted, I stewed because I thought Montessori, you know, I'd been told it was a, a good education. And I remember the day, I hope your listeners don't think that I'm a blub here, but I remember the day the letter from the Cincinnati public school system showed up and he'd been, he'd been accepted. Uh, as a student in Sands Montessori. I remember sitting in the living room of the apartment we're in, and I just put my head in my hands, started crying because I was so damn relieved because not only is he going to a decent school for free, now I've got $350 extra a month that we can start to push ahead with living life and not under these uh, constraints. 
Um, so those years were, uh, looking back at it, I was, at the time I was utterly miserable. And here's the other truth, it hadn't been for Canadian club in the evenings. And I'll just be damn frank about it. Um, you know, I, I use Churchill's quote, I got a lot more out of alcohol than alcohol's gotten out of me. Because there were some times I have to, your listeners can do what they, I needed something to numb it, to just bring it down because it was, it was tough. So when I see people that are struggling with life and, and, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm not quick to blame them because stuff happens uh, and you don't know when or where or how you're up one day, you're down the next. It's just the way things uh, tend to go. So at the school, I've started teaching embalming and looking back at it, it was a very fortuitous role for me because I, I knew something about it, but it didn't require a, a lot of uh, brain power to run the embalming lab, right? Here's the case, this is what we need to do. And looking back now, it was a respite. Uh, the couple years that I taught embalming, first of all, taught me how to embalm, right? Taught me a humility about embalming. You know, I meet people at conventions and they'll say, I, I've never had a problem embalming in my entire career. And I'm privately thinking, well, you haven't done much embalming. Right. If you, can, if you can make a claim that you haven't had any problems uh, in the prep room with some of the cases you get. But I was battling. I don't think I've ever gotten over this totally. <clears throat> and I'll give you an example of it. I was battling the loser syndrome. The bankruptcy and the failed marriage. No question about it did a number on me. Uh, it changed my view of life forever. Um, and it made me insecure to a level that I had not known before. And so even to this day, when I'm asked to give a seminar at a convention or to give a keynote address or, or uh, you know, I remember I was asked to give a commencement address uh, for the graduating college, uh, class at Warsham's College in Chicago. And I remember sitting there and the place was packed with family members. And all of a sudden that creeping, that creeping feeling of you're a loser, that you're, you know, why, and, and, it, and it comes out that why in the world would they ask you, somebody like you, if they only knew that you're the guy that lost the funeral home. Uh, why in the world should they have any interest in what you have to say? Now, that passes now more quickly than it used to, but there were a number of years, a lot of years, that when I would get invitations to go somewhere, I went through this kind of self-reproach. Uh, I didn't share it with anybody, right? And I got up there and I tried to do the best I could, but those life experiences 
Um, maybe some folks it just rolls off their back and they're able to say, uh, you know, uh, cheese and crackers, I'm moving on uh, with my life. I moved on, but not very smoothly at times. It was, it was awkward. So at the school though, um, there were two individuals that came into my life. Uh, and one was a man named David Fitzsimmons. And I want to spend some time with the audience about David Fitzsimmons. He is now retired. He lives out West, but he was the president of the Cincinnati College, and he's the man that hired me and gave me my start in mortuary education, uh, uh, writing, speaking, etc. Anything, I'll say this because it's the gospel truth. He was a good friend and mentor. He included me and my son. I remember Christmas time came, the first Christmas when we were by ourselves. And he saw to it that we weren't by ourselves, right? He invited us out to his home. He, he, he invited us out a lot. We had many, many meals uh, at the Fitzsimmons home. And he had young children and my son was uh, three or four. Um, and so they became uh, good buddies. But I wanted to give due credit where credit is due. You know, I like to take on projects now, and I like to have three projects going at once. One that's about done, one's in the middle of being done, and one's just starting up. I like to have that cycle on all the time, all the time, uh, three of them going at one time. And I learned that from David Simmons. Anything that I learned about structure, about organization, about looking down the road two, three, five, ten years, I learned from him because he truly was a master at coming up with structure and organization. And actually, the mortuary school, uh, when he took it over in 1977, uh, Tom Clark, who is not with us anymore, and Andy Schmidt, uh, Harold Whitmire, Bud Rabius, they were all on the board of directors when they hired David. Um, and Cincinnati was on its way down. There is no doubt in 1977, that school was headed for closure. There's no doubt. And uh, Tom Clark told me one time, he said, you know, we hired this kid, David Fitzsimmons from New York, because we, we totally thought the school was going to close and then we could blame him, right? <laughs> once, it, once it went down, we, we, we wouldn't have to take any of the rap. Uh, Cincinnati would not be there without his leadership. And his leadership was not without controversy. But no effective leaders can lead without controversy. Uh, David Fitzsimmons uh, was the, in the mid late 70s was the salvation of that school. He put together 
uh, one of the finest faculties that has ever graced a mortuary program. And he moved the school from uh, Reading Road, an old antiquated building, uh, to the Edgecliff campus and gave it a college flair and yet kept its own independent identity. The other person at Cincinnati uh, was a student named Todd Milner. And I need to um, acknowledge him because he was one of the seminal rocks in my life. He and I have been friends. We talk weekly. He's now a Lutheran minister of all things. Um, I still have to pinch myself that he became a Lutheran minister, but he did it. And he's got a church up in Northern Ohio, but he was a tremendous supporter, uh, help with me and taking care of Thomas when I needed help and backup. Uh, so, so those years in Cincinnati, uh, were, uh, some, they were as, they were as important in my, in my development as a human being as what uh, Turner's was uh, of what losing my own funeral homes was and as much as going to the first funeral that I went to that got all this stuff started. So that's a little bit on the Cincinnati Mortuary School. Well, <clears throat> Todd, it, it amazes me the people that have been put in, in your path and the connections that you've made with them. It, I say this almost every time we we record but it's uh you just have these great people have come across your path and and make you a better person for it great well um let's wrap this one up and what will we be talking about next todd well i think we're going to continue a little bit more on cincinnati uh, because we have a story about going to seminary um, and then i did want to make some statements about students and then talk a little bit about uh, the move to New York, um, and and we'll take it from there. That sounds great. Okay, Todd, right. once again, pleasure to do this with you. All right, and thank you. My pleasure too, Rob. Thank you. You bet.